super suit? What? Where is my super suit? Uh, So there's so many lessons in one single 50-second clip, and of the most important probably is this one, men, your wife is your greater good, and so don't forget that. And, and ladies, uh, if you are sitting there with the hopes that I'm about to do a message on why you are the greater good, you will be sorely disappointed this evening, because that is a bonus. That is a bonus piece for the men. That is not what we're about to delve into, although that is an important thing to know. Uh, what I love most about the little moments in this 50-second video clip that we watched is actually this, that when you are living a life where you are on mission uh, and stepping into things you are called to because you've been empowered with, with things that are special beyond normal humanity, uh, the things of evil get thrown at you in the middle of everyday life. And that's exactly what's happening, right? They're getting ready for dinner uh, to go out. He's busy shaving, and an evil monster walks by the window, and he realizes in that very second he must immediately engage into the mission to which he's been called because he, know, he knows that he has been empowered to this great mission. And so immediately he enters into looking for the thing that will empower him, his super suit, so that he can go out and engage in the mission. And of course, the hilarity of that moment plays in. But this is the story of our lives in many ways, that we have been empowered by the gospel of Jesus Christ through the Spirit of Christ to live on mission for the kingdom of God in a world that throws stuff at us all the time in the middle of everyday life. And so we must be engaged, aware, and prepared to be stepping into what we are called into all the time. This is exactly what Paul has been unpacking for us, uh, really through the letter that he wrote to the church in Galatia, for the church in Galatia. He's writing to the church in Galatia to clarify some realities about the gospel of Jesus Christ, to show them this is the good news, this is the grand story of God, and these are the implications of that story. He's writing to the church there that is a mixture of Jews and Gentiles, and as the incredible story of God, the gospel, that God came to planet earth in the form of flesh and blood as Jesus Christ walked among us, died on a cross for us, rose from the dead for our redemption, and has now come to rescue our souls, redeem our future, restore our purpose, uh, that he is the one that does the work. This good news has collided with the Jewish world and the Gentile world, with the world of seeming righteousness under the law and the world of seeming lawlessness under the Gentile paganism. And in its, uh, in its collision, it has created quite a stir, as you would imagine it has, because the gospel says this, no matter what you're trying to do, no matter what life you're trying to live, to try to make it to the end and make it well, to appease whoever it is you're trying to appease, it ain't going to work. It's just not going to work. It doesn't matter how righteously you think you're living or how awesome you think you are that you can live any way you want, both end in the same place, your soul death. That's, that's it. 
And in order to redeem that story and rescue your soul, it didn't take a work of you or me. It took a work of our divine creator. This is the gospel. And so it kind of stirs us up because in the Garden of Eden, when we decided to pursue our own story, our own divinity, eating the fruit and saying we want to be like God, we became convinced in our sinfulness and death that we are gods and that ultimately we write our own story and and shape our own destiny. So we like to be in control, even if it is controlling our righteousness to appease the creator who's in control. And so this is how we live. So Paul is writing about the gospel saying, I must clarify some things. Uh, The gospel matters. The gospel uh, matters a great deal, and so we got to get the gospel right. We've got to understand it fully. And if somebody's preaching a gospel that isn't the real gospel, you ought to know that, and you ought to not pay attention to them. This was the first part of Galatians. Then he said, in order to make sure that you know that you're getting the gospel right and that you're listening to the right gospel, let me clarify the gospel for you. And so he spent the rest of the book of Galatians up till now laying out for us the gospel is the rescue of God of our story without our work. So your righteousness, your laws that you're trying to live up to, they cannot be part of this story. So remember, this is where he spent a great deal of time saying, the gospel has set us free from what? From the obligation of fulfilling the righteous requirements of the law that in our sinful nature we are incapable of doing. This is our grand curse as a human race. In our lawlessness, we're dead. But in our lawfulness, we're dead. Why? Because when we try to live lawfully by the law and the righteous requirements, our sinful nature makes it impossible for us to attain righteousness so we cannot be right with God. And so Paul is saying, the gospel set you free from that insanity. You do not have to continue to try to live righteously to be right with God, nor uh, is the gospel giving you the liberty or the opportunity to go live lawlessly. It's actually setting you free from that as well. And now what Paul's going to do is he's going to come and begin to unpack for us the implications to this reality. If indeed the gospel has set us free, if indeed we are free from the obligation of righteousness that we cannot obtain, if indeed we are free to walk into life without that weight on our shoulders, what does that then mean? What should our lives look like? And uh, as we came to the end of our last little piece in the letter, the first major implication, in fact, the implication of this gospel was laid before us. And it was a big deal. This is what, this is what Paul said. Uh, in Galatians chapter 5, Paul is writing about this incredible freedom we have. Remember, uh, Galatians 5.1 started this way. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. And in Galatians chapter 5, the middle of it, in the end of the section we were in last time, he writes this. For you were called to freedom, brothers. Only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. This is what Paul begins to show us as an implication of the gospel. 
This is all found in Galatians chapter 5. Grab your Bibles, turn there with me because we're about to spend some time there. Page 632 if you're using one of the Bibles we provide. Page 632 or Galatians chapter 5 if you brought your own Bible. So in Galatians chapter 5, in the end he's just said, listen, since you are free in the gospel from the obligation of the righteous requirements of the law that you cannot fulfill, do not use that freedom to live lawlessly because that will be as devastating a life as the one that you were obligated to under the law. Instead, use this freedom now to do the one thing that God created all things for. Go and love God and go and love people. This is what he said. So he says, go out, love one another, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word, verse 14, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, but do not bite. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out or you will be consumed by one another. So here's, here it is. We just received it, right? Now we know the gospel. We know it's, it's reality. Go love your neighbor. And, and we found out because we've already experienced the gospels of Jesus that our neighbor is who? Well, well, Jesus decided to use the Samaritan as an example of the neighbor. The Samaritan were the most hated cultural people for the Jewish people. So here's what Jesus was saying. If it breathes and it's human, it's your neighbor. Okay? If it breathes and it's human, it's your neighbor. So you cannot categorize your neighbor by whom you like or don't like, by who you think is like you or not like you. You can't categorize categorize your neighbor by any version of category you might come up with. If it breathes and it's human, it's your neighbor. So go love your neighbor. Problem is our neighbors aren't so nice, are they? Our neighbors are out to get us, aren't they? I mean, even our spouses are out to get us half the time. I mean, come on, just being, being honest. I'm out to get her, she's out to get me. Doesn't it feel that way? Our kids are out to get us and we're out to get them. Our neighbors literally are uh, next door. Our coworkers are. The entire planet feels like oftentimes it's against you. I know, they're great days too, but I'm just saying these things happen. And so the reality is as we go into that very real world out there with very real stuff, what happens is in our everyday day, the evil that is in the world is thrown at us constantly in the middle of everyday life. And so the question that should emerge in your mind as it does in mine when we get to this part, and Paul says, in light of the gospel, go out into that world and live radical lives of love. Because this is the whole law. The entire reason for righteousness was not to make you righteous, but to uh, bring you to a place where you can love God and love people. Because the law is, when fulfilled, an act of love toward God and toward people. Look at them. Go read them. They're all about that, right? So, so this is the calling on our lives. The question that should emerge is, I, I got it, God. That sounds super exciting, but you should see the world I'm walking into. And in there, when I'm a little tired, a little grumpy, a little off, a little anything, frankly, I am the enemy of myself. So I want to live this life, but how do I live this life? How do I live in the gospel so that constantly, day for day, I am living a life of radical love toward my spouse, toward my children, toward my neighbors, toward my coworkers, toward my friends, toward my biblical community, toward my enemies? How do I do this? And as though God knew that we'd be sitting there excited to want to live out a life of radical love, but nervous about our ability to do it, God answers the question through Paul. So take a look. Paul is about to now start saying to us, you want to live a life out there of powerful radical love. Here's how that life emerges in you. Ready? Here's how it comes. Take a look. 
uh, chapter 5, verse 16. But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. <laughs> just, just like that. It's kind of irritating, isn't it? It's like it's not complicated. Just walk by the Spirit. Find yourself in the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit, and all the desires of the flesh that drive you insane and cause you to live wrongly and not love radically, they will no longer haunt you. Just go live by the Spirit. Okay, well, that was fun. Thanks for coming, folks. We'll see you next week. Go do that. See, it doesn't work that way, does it? You're like, whoa, 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 you can't do that to me. I don't know what that means. I don't know what it means to live by the Spirit. That's not an answer. That's, that's a, I, I don't understand. And I go, I, I, I get it. So Paul doesn't stop there either. So let's see where Paul takes us. Now he's going to clue us in to what it means to live by the Spirit, what we should expect in that journey, how it looks in our everyday life. Look what he says here. He says, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Paul is cluing us into the life that we live. Do you see that? He is giving us the space in which we can recognize the conflict in which we function on planet earth. We have not yet received our glorified bodies that are free of flesh and sin. So therefore we live in the dichotomy of a great battle. There is the spirit in us who is functionally producing in us the fruit of the kingdom of God, and there is the flesh around us that is fighting the spirit in us, and so what the spirit and the flesh are doing is that they are at war with one another. So this should clue you in and clue me into something very important. If you're going to choose to live a life of radical love now that you have been set free by the gospel, and you are going to walk by the spirit, is that going to be a smooth ride? No, it's not. It is not a smooth ride because it is a war zone in your very being. It is a war zone of your flesh and the spirit. And so here's the critical piece of the equation here. Uh, Paul is beginning to remind us that, listen, if you're going to live this life, this is not a life you live neutral. You live just kind of cruise control. You don't just go, since the gospel set me free, I now just sit back and the spirit will do what the spirit does in me. End of story. Because that could be tempting, isn't it? Because it seems like that's what the gospel did, and in fact, it is what the gospel did. It did the work in us without us participating in the work, and so our temptation is now, I will continue to live that way. Since God is going to make me like Christ without me making me like Christ, since he's going to finish the work he began in me, I'm just going to go sit back and relax, and Paul goes, it's a war! You don't get to sit back and relax. You participate in this because this is not going to come easy. So we've got this clue, I must walk by the Spirit, and it's a war between my flesh and the Spirit, and they're going to be against one another, so I need to participate, but I still don't know what it means to walk by the Spirit. What is it that I must do? What is my part in this story? If my part is that I need to be engaged, what does that engagement look like? Take a look what he says. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. 
Okay, so now he's, now he's cluing us in. It's going to be a war, but understand this. If you're led by the Spirit of God within this war, if the Spirit of God is what is driving you, if you are walking in the Spirit, walking by the Spirit, then you will not have to be under the law. You are free from the law. The obligation to live righteously in order to live radically or the obligation to live righteously in order uh, to be right with God is no longer a necessity because the Spirit of God will produce in you what you're trying to produce in yourself. You see he's saying that? You are not under the law if you're in the Spirit because the Spirit is doing in you what you couldn't do for yourself. So the law is no longer your obligation. That's pretty awesome. Happy about that. That's good. We've heard about that in Galatians a lot, but look, he goes on. Now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and the things like these. So that's quite a list, but it's not even the beginning. What he's saying is that when we walk in the Spirit of God, we are no longer under the law that, that demands righteousness from us because the Spirit of God is in us producing in us what must be produced. But he says now this too, and by the way, the works of the flesh, which are this lawlessness you could live in, this list over here, if you live by those things, if those things drive you, if you are consumed by those things, if you crave those things, in other words, if you are living a life where you want to live this lawless life, your life, your deal, your way. You're sick and tired of God's stupid story, right? But you, you have to kind of pretend. So you're kind of doing a couple things so that, so that you, the people around you think that you're kind of you know, following God, but you're actually secretly wanting this all the time. He, he's saying this. Okay, listen. Here's what he's saying. The, the obligation to righteousness is not yours in the Spirit. And if your life is all about lawlessness, then you're not in the spirit either. You don't have the spirit. You, you don't even belong to Christ. So, so this, is, this is great. You are in the spirit. If you are in the spirit, you are free from the obligation of the law, and you are free from the misery of the lawless life. If you're not in the spirit, you are either obligated to the law and will fail, or you're living lawlessly and will fail. See, that's what he's saying. He's back there again. This is not a discouragement to say, check your life. If, if you do one of these things on this list, the Spirit's not in you and you don't know Jesus and you're going to hell. That's not what this is about at all. It's demonstrating to us that when we do have the Spirit, we are free from both worlds. Uh, the obligation to the law and the, uh, the pull and the devastation of the lawless life, the life of flesh. Look what he says. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. See, what he's saying here is this. If you don't have the Spirit, you're stuck in either the law or lawlessness. But if you have the Spirit, and this is the point of this passage, if you have the Spirit, you are not under the law, and you are not captivated by lawlessness. This is the beauty of the Spirit. So we should start going as those who know Jesus and have the Spirit. Ooh, this sounds awesome. So I'm driven even more to ask the question, what does it mean to walk in the Spirit? Because apparently when I walk in the Spirit and I'm led by the Spirit, I'm free from the obligations of the law and I'm free from living lawlessly and being consumed by that horror. So what does that look like? He says this, 
But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. There is no law. He kind of circles right back again. You're free from the law and the Spirit, remember? You're free from lawlessness in the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit will be born in you. And against that fruit, there is no law that obligates you to anything. What is Paul saying here? That when we live our lives, the fruit that will be born out of us will be the result of whether or not we are walking in, walking by, being led by the Spirit of God. If the fruit born in us seems to be more aligned with the fruit of the flesh that should clue us in to going, huh, it's not that I'm behaving badly and I should start striving to behave rightly. It's that somewhere along the way, I am not engaged in the walking in, in the being led by the Spirit of God. If the fruit of the Spirit are being born out of me, then that should clue me in. I am engaging in the one who is birthing the fruit in me. If I crave the fruit of the flesh consistently and I'm just trying to get around the things of God in pretense, then it should clue me in that I may not have the Spirit of God. And let me warn you, if that's your life, you are still living in death. That's what Paul's saying. But here's the deal. The fruit of the Spirit and the fruit of the flesh become a thermometer for me, a a mirror, a a little note of... <clears throat> the super suit is in the closet. You ought to, you ought to, go, you ought to go get it on. That's, that's what the fruit do. So when I see myself birthing some fruit of the flesh, not bent by them, not desiring, craving, wanting them constantly, uh, wanting to live in them as a whole, but, but that they're kind of coming out of me. So it's, it's easy, right? In, in, in your marriage, if you're married, in your friendships, if you have friends, uh, in your workplace, if you work in your, as a student, uh, these kinds of things. If you constantly find yourself in those places and the things coming out of you are frustration and, and, and envy and strife and, and you don't want these things, but they keep coming out of you, that should clue you in. Something has gone awry in my walking in or walking by the Spirit. That's what the fruit are there for, to show you. Now, the other thing that this demonstrates is this. Jesus says uh, through Paul here, when the fruit of the Spirit are born in us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control, against these things there is no law. There is no law required for them. There is no law over them. Why not? Because they in of themselves are the law being lived out. Do you understand? The law in its intent was not exclusively to make us right with God. It couldn't do that because it was weakened by our sinful nature. But that was not its exclusive purpose. The purpose of the law includes not only our rightness with God, but also our calling of mission to love God and to love people. If you go back and you look at every law that's in place, all of the laws relate back to either our relationship with God and our loving of Him and trusting of Him, or our relationship with others and our loving them and trusting them. The intent of the law was to fulfill the great law, which was to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. This is why Jesus said, all the laws, all of the law, all of the prophets, it all hangs on two ideas. 
Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. And here Paul writes in chapter 5, since you now are set free by the gospel, go do the law. What is the law? Love your neighbor as yourself. This is what it looks like. And so what he's saying here is when the fruit of the Spirit are being born in you, those fruit will produce around you what the law was always intended to produce, which is freedom in you, freedom around you, freedom for others. And there is no law needed, no law against that. It is in of itself the righteousness born in us. And so what we are beginning to realize in this passage is that our work is no longer a work of righteousness, but it is a work of intimacy with the one who will produce in us the fruit of righteousness, the fruit of radical love. This is what Paul is beginning to do for us. He is saying to us, listen, listen, you have tended to do this. You've lived in two options, right? Option one, live by the law, try to attain righteousness, you can't, but give it a shot. Option two, ignore the law, live lawlessly, live life to the full, do what you want when you want it, and hope for the best at the end, right? Those were your two options, self-righteousness or self-direction. But there is now in the gospel another option that is in fact the option of freedom, that you will not be bound by self-righteousness or self-direction, but that you will be bound in Christ by his great work. So you live now not by the law nor by the lawlessness, but by the Spirit. See, our tendency is this. Even us who now know Christ, this is how we tend to live. At least this is what I found in my life. There are things in me that still want what I want. The the things that tempt me, right? The things, the the lawless things, the things that I want to manipulate and navigate so I can get what I want. And I I live in those things. I struggle in those things in relationship, in circumstance, in resource. I get resources. I know what I'm supposed to do with them, but I kind of want them for myself. I get relationships. I know I'm supposed to give of myself, but I kind of want them to give to me. I have circumstances and I tolerate them, but I really want them to be really good so I can be really happy, right? I mean, ultimately, I live there. And so I try to manipulate all things to make all things right for me. And in that, I also now recognize that I'm in Christ and I want to please Him. So this is my tendency. I find myself uh, birthing fruit of lawlessness, in other words, the fruit of the flesh. I find myself struggling with the temptations of life, perhaps stuck in an addiction somewhere, and I want to get out, but it's too embarrassing to tell anyone, so I kind of hope I will someday, and I'm kind of working through that. And, or I find myself just kind of struggling with the general temptations, and I, I kind of say these things, well, we're all sinners. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's normal. We're human. And so what I do to compensate for my insanity is I do a few righteous things, Right? I try to live by some good righteousness to compensate for my struggle with sin. This is how we tend to live. I'm struggling with sin, but God, I love you and I want to please you, so I'm doing some good things too. Now, we don't quite say it that way, but that's the way it plays out. Here's what Paul's saying to us. Abandon both. Abandon both. What do you mean abandon both? One, I'm not choosing the sinful stuff. And two, the works of righteousness, I mean, they're for him. I love him. Yes, I get that, but, but, but abandon both those as a means by which you are going to functionally play out the gospel because you'll still fail even though you now know Christ. The means by which you play out the gospel is by stepping into not a, a, a relationship of works but a relationship of intimacy. See, our work 
is not producing works of righteousness of any kind. Our work is producing relational intimacy with the one who will produce in us the works of righteousness, the fruit of God, the fruit of the kingdom, the fruit of the Spirit. This is a paradigm shift for us. This is what Paul's doing. You want to know what the secret is to living life out there on mission in radical love, birthing the fruit of the kingdom of God, the Spirit of God in your life? It is not you mustering up more strength to do what's right. Figure out how to find more patience. Beg God for more gentleness. Go seek out some way to produce a little more joy in your life. It's not what it is. You can try, but you can't do it. It is, in fact, engaging in the Spirit of God. Engaging in a relational work for intimacy with the Spirit of God. This is our participation. We are called now not to participate in working for God, but to participate in working toward God in intimacy alone. So you say, hold on a second. Walk in the Spirit, won't crave the things of the flesh, see the the fruit of the Spirit born in me, get that. You're saying that walking in the Spirit is to engage in intimacy with the Spirit, to be intimate with Him so that He will do in me what I want to see done in and through me. Yes, how do I develop intimacy with the Spirit? Good question. That's a good next question. And since Paul is trying to lay out for us that our secret is in intimacy with the Spirit, not in works of righteousness, We have to ask ourselves, how do you produce intimacy in relationship? And to that end, Paul's not going to give us a verse. We have our life, don't we? God has has created us in relationship, in relational dynamics. And so you and I actually already know what it takes to develop intimacy in relationship. Take the standard relationships in which we function, right? Uh, Human relationships function in things like marital relationships, parent-child relationships, in things like friendships, and things like co-working relationships or biblical communal relationships, right? I mean, these are, and there's others, but those are some of the examples. In every one of those relationships, the same truths exist if you want intimacy in those relationships. They are a set of disciplines, a set of engaging things you need to do in those relationships that will either birth greater intimacy or diminish intimacy, Right? I mean, this is not rocket science. This is just observable reality that we live in. If you practice a certain set of things in relationship for the sake of intimacy, what will be born is intimacy. And if you practice, if you do not practice consistently those things, what will be born is the breakdown of intimacy. And then out of that intimacy will be born fruit or out of the breakdown of intimacy will be born fruit, right? So in our friendships... If you do not spend time with your friend, if you do not serve your friend, if you do not engage in certain realities with your friend, then your friendship will diminish. Every time I sit in marriage with Brooke and I and we look at our marriage, we evaluate where we're at. Whenever we get to the end of a week, a month, or a year, and we just feel disconnected, disconnected, like just, I, I am not walking by you, with you, or in you, and you are not walking by me, with me, or in me. We are walking two separate deals here. We can always break it down, man. We can always go back and go, where'd this break down? It always works this way. Well, there were other things that crept in and took our time, took our space for conversation, 
our space for connecting emotionally, connecting physically, connecting mentally, connecting spiritually. We abandoned those practices because other things took precedent. So then as we abandoned those practices, our love for one another in an expression or in a feeling diminished. I didn't like her as much. She didn't like me as much. Which then caused us to desire less of those practices that produce intimacy. And you spin that wheel far enough and you have a broken marriage, a broken friendship, you have a a broken parent-child relationship, you have a broken biblical community. This is why we say here all the time, don't we? Get, Get in the missional community. Actually go every week and spend time with your people in missional community. Oh, but I don't have time. I get it. That's fine. It's okay. But understand then that intimacy with your biblical relation with your biblical community is not going to be a reality. See, we already know how relational intimate works work. There is a set of disciplines that you practice regularly for intimacy that produce the fruit of relationship. Over the last 2000 years, in multiple ways, men and women that have followed Christ have figured out, as well as the authors of Scripture, that we must affect a set of disciplines in our life that will develop intimacy with our Creator, causing us to walk by Him, walk in Him, walk with Him, in step with Him. And if we do those things, He will produce in us the things of God rather than the things of the flesh. Because it's a war zone, and He will ultimately be the one we are fixed and focused on. So you have passages like this, where uh, Paul writes, for example, in uh, Colossians chapter 3, set your minds on things above. Because you are now in Christ. I mean, just set him. That's a participatory active step, right? Or the author of Hebrews, fix your eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of your faith, right? Fix him. Ding. Or Paul, here in Galatians, walk by the Spirit, being led by the Spirit. See, these are active, participatory callings, but none of them as works of righteousness, all of them as works of intimacy. Because in intimacy with the Spirit, the power to see the fruit of the Spirit born in us is made real. Richard Foster wrote a book um, called The Celebration of Discipline. It is a book about the disciplines of the faith. And in that book, he writes these words. I want you to listen to this. This gives you a, a, a picture here of what Paul is calling us to share. And in fact, he is going to quote a verse out of the book of Galatians in chapter 6, which we're going to get to here in the next uh, couple of weeks. Take a look at this. The apostle Paul says, this is Foster writing, he who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. This is Paul writing, Galatians chapter 6, verse 8. Paul's analogy is instructive, Foster says. A farmer is helpless to grow grain. All he can do is provide the right conditions for the growing of grain. He cultivates the ground, he plants the seed, he waters the plants, and then the natural forces of the earth take over, and up comes the grain. In this, uh, this is the way it is with the spiritual disciplines. 
They are a way of sowing to the Spirit. The disciplines are God's way of getting us into the ground. They put us where He can work within us and transform us. By themselves, the spiritual disciplines can do nothing. They can only get us to the place where something can be done. They are God's means of grace. They are God's means of grace. See, what Paul is trying to do in Galatians is say, stop trying to do the works that will produce in you the fruit of patience, kindness, goodness, and the others. And by all means, don't just give up and go live in the works of the flesh and go, woo, because there is death in both those worlds. What you need to do is look at your life and say, where have I allowed the life I live in all of its fast and insane pace to tell me that it is more important to keep my mind fixed on things of earth, my eyes fixed on things that matter most here on planet earth, that I have forgotten to practice the disciplines of relationship in the Spirit. Because my intimacy with the Spirit of God has diminished so that I am back in the war zone of struggling against the cravings of the flesh desiring the things of the Spirit, but finding myself always in the things of the flesh. Doesn't mean you don't know Jesus, doesn't mean you don't have the Spirit. If you didn't have the Spirit, you would be wanting the things of the flesh all the time and secretly trying to pretend to be this. But that's not us, is it? I know that for me it's never that way. I'm not trying to pretend to be a Christian, but I secretly want this. I'm struggling with this And so sometimes I kind of try to hide because I'm embarrassed, but the reality is I really want this. And what Paul's saying is if that's what you want, the Spirit is in you, but you are not intimate with the Spirit. And so when you're not intimate with the Spirit, that is the not walking in the Spirit. And when we don't walk in the Spirit, we should expect what? The fruit of the flesh to be showing itself in our lives. But when we walk in the Spirit, we should see the fruit of the Spirit born in us. Paul is saying this to us. Your striving, my striving, should not be toward works of production of righteousness or good fruit. Our striving should be toward intimacy with the Spirit. Strive in the disciplines of relationship, the disciplines of the faith that will produce intimacy and let the Spirit of God produce fruit that will produce freedom. This is so freeing, because you, you don't have to go try to figure out how to be patient. What you have to go do is spend time in the disciplines of the faith to be intimate with the Spirit. Now you might say, what are these disciplines of the faith? What are they? Well, if you really want to know, frankly, you can Google it. It's amazing, Google. Disciplines of the faith. Richard Foster's book, The Celebration of Discipline, will pop up. Other things too. The disciplines of the faith are things like this. Prayer. Regular, consistent prayer. Fasting. (laughs) Fasting. Who knew? Uh, Solitude. Silence. Worship. Study of the Word. Memorization. Meditation on the things of God. These are all disciplines of the faith. Every one of them have the power, when you practice them, to produce greater intimacy with Christ. That's what they have the power to do. Let me read uh, one or two more things from Richard Foster's book, and I'll demonstrate this to you to give you an example of what I mean by practicing something for the sake of intimacy. Let's take the discipline of meditation. This is in Richard Foster's book. 
In meditation, we are growing into what Thomas Akempis calls a familiar friendship with Jesus. We are sinking down into the light and life of Christ and becoming comfortable in that posture. The perpetual presence of the Lord moves from a theological dogma, something we know, to a radiant reality, something we experience. Did you know meditation could do that? When we meditate on the things of God, on the things of the Word of God, when we think on the things of God. I tell people all the time when their marriage is kind of diminished, start here. Actually, throughout the day, think about your spouse in nice ways. What? No, I mean like think nice things about them. Try to remember things that make them nice. That's going to be hard. I get it, but there's actually lots there. You've just forgotten to see it. See, it's always there. This is what he's saying. Meditation can be powerful. Listen to this one. This is prayer. This is Richard Foster's take on prayer. Prayer catapults us into the frontier of the spiritual life. All of the spiritual disciplines, of all the spiritual disciplines, prayer can be the most central because it ushers us into perpetual communion with the Father. See what prayer is about? See, you and I thought prayer was about asking God to do things for us so we could be happy. Actually, prayer is a discipline of the faith that causes us to be in perpetual communion with the Father. See, the disciplines of the faith are designed for you and I to practice regularly for intimacy with the Spirit so that the Spirit can produce in us the righteousness and fruit of the kingdom so that we can be free and produce freedom in others. Listen to this one. Here's another one. I'll I'll do one more. Fasting. Fasting. If our fasting is not unto God, we have failed. Physical benefits, success in prayer, the endowing with power, spiritual insights, these are good, but these must never replace God as the center of our fasting. John Wesley declares, first, let, it, uh, let fasting be done unto the Lord with our eyes singularly fixed on Him. Let, let our intention in fasting be this, and this alone, to the glory of our Father which is in heaven. See, every time we enter the disciplines of the faith appropriately, they are not works of righteousness. They are works of intimacy. And listen now, please listen. Our super suit is our intimacy with God, not the works we produce of either righteousness or good fruit for God. Our super suit is not patience. It's not kindness. It's not love or joy. It's not gentleness. It's not faithfulness. It's not self-control. Those will produce freedom and they will be part of the superpowers we hold, but they are not our supersuit because we cannot produce them. They are only what is produced in us when we are walking in our supersuit. Our supersuit is not just the Spirit of God. That would be easy, right? Because we all have the Spirit, great. I have the Spirit, but yet I still live in the fruit of the flesh a lot, right? Our supersuit, listen now, is our intimacy with the Spirit. And our intimacy with the Spirit is what is produced when we participate in the disciplines of relationship, the disciplines of the faith. When we leave here, let us be driven to go seek out how to practice disciplines that will produce intimacy and let us not try to continue to try to figure out how to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes this to close. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. 
If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. Let us not become conceited, provoking one another and envying one another. See, what he's saying here is, if this is going to be your life with your eyes fixed on the Spirit of God, then let us walk in step with the Spirit, allowing the things of the kingdom of God and the mission of the kingdom of God to be produced through us, through the Spirit. Let us continually keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, our minds set on things above. And how do we do that? Here it is. It's this simple. You ready? This simple. It's difficult to do, but simple. Here it is. Make it a priority. If you do this, I'm telling you, you are going to see a, a shaping and a changing of life. Make it a priority to preach the gospel to yourself and to one another daily. To remind yourself of who Jesus is, what he's done for you, and what he's called you to, who you are in Christ, your rescued soul, your redeemed future, and your restored purpose. Preach that to yourself every day. Then preach it to those who are close to you, those you love every day. Your biblical community, your spouses, your friends, those that are in Preach it. This is the gospel. This is the gospel. I'm telling you. You're telling me. We're telling each other. I'm telling me. I'm telling you. You're telling you. You do that every day. That's that, you just start practicing that every day. Because if our eyes are fixed on Jesus and our minds set on things above, that is intimacy. And then, besides preaching the gospel to yourself, you daily, weekly, monthly, quarterly, annually figure out in your life how to incorporate the disciplines of relationship, those things that you will practice regularly in order to develop intimacy with the Spirit And then, as you actively strive to preach the gospel to yourself and others, and actively strive to participate in the disciplines of relationship that produce intimacy, let the Spirit of God produce the fruit of the Spirit in you. You won't have to. I promise you, if we're doing that and striving for that, we will not be concerned with trying to figure out how to find the fruit of the Spirit in us. If you are heavy and burdened by this life and its insanity, step in again to the gospel. Step in again to the disciplines of the faith and watch through intimacy with the Spirit how beautifully He produces in you the things you and I so deeply desire. And out of the fruit of the kingdom of God, the fruit of the Spirit, watch Him produce freedom in your life and freedom in the lives around you. Do not live under the law Do not live lawlessly, both or death. Live by the Spirit, walking in the Spirit, in intimacy with the Spirit. Let's pray. God, we want to live our lives in a manner that demonstrates what you've already done in us, for us so that now as you do through us, the freedom that we have discovered will be born in all those around us. But God, we recognize again through this passage, we cannot even produce in ourselves the fruit of the Spirit. All we can now do, God, is recognize that the Spirit of God is in us and His fruit will be produced through us as we walk in step with Him, walking by the Spirit. So remind us, God, again this weekend, that our striving should not be toward works that are producing either righteousness or fruit of the Spirit of God, but that our striving should be works of intimacy, walking in the disciplines of the faith, 
practicing the things that will produce greater intimacy with you, Spirit, so that you can produce in us and through us the fruit of your great kingdom. Help us to be men and women and children that keep our eyes fixed on you, Jesus, by preaching the gospel to ourselves and those around us every day, by setting our minds on things above in light of the gospel, and by walking in the Spirit through the disciplines of the faith for intimacy's sake. And then help us to trust you to do in us what we have never been able to do in ourselves, to produce the fruit of the Spirit so that we might live lives of freedom, producing freedom. Make it so, we pray, Spirit of God, in Jesus' name, Amen.